This teaching comes to you from the team at St Mark's Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Father, give us an eagerness to hear your word and a zeal to follow your lead. For Jesus' sake, Amen. One of life's delightful rewards is getting home after a very taxing day and being able to stop stressing, kick off your shoes, turn off the phone, grab a drink, put on your favourite music, slump into your most comfortable chair and then be uninterrupted and still for as long as you like. What bliss. 35 years ago, we were coming home to Bendigo after a year overseas, and the flight from Los Angeles to Sydney was 14 hours. Uh, one hour break in Sydney and then on to Melbourne was the plan. On board were 30 or so big Americans on their way to a golden oldies rugby carnival in Hong Kong. They walked around the cabin the whole flight. They talked loudly. They exhausted the alcohol supply by the mid-Pacific. And a few hours out of Sydney, we were then diverted to Brisbane since Kingford Smith was hidden by fog. After a couple of hours in Brisbane, Sydney had reopened. So we piled on board and uh, took off, but soon started flying in enormous circles. The fog had obviously come back into Sydney. Eventually, we skipped Sydney and headed to Melbourne, where friends collected us uh, for the 90-minute drive home. It had been over 24 hours with no decent sleep, thanks to the golden oldies particularly. The kids were zombies and we were no better. We lugged our cases in the front door and collapsed. Coming home to rest can be so beautiful. Rest for humanity really is a big deal. So it's no surprise that rest is an important feature in the Bible. For some, in fact, the most attractive thing that Jesus ever said was, Come to me, all you that are weary, and I will give you rest. It sounds like Jesus is boldly promising us an experience like our finally coming home to total relaxation after a day of exhaustion. Rest. He says, To you that are weary from carrying heavy burdens... I will give rest. Well, what sort of burdens? What what sort of rest? In his next sentence, Jesus expanded his promise. You will find rest for your souls. So this rest sounds not so much rest from a life of backbreaking toil, but more a rest from the tensions that sap our energy and from boredom and from fear of failure and from being a long way from God. And Jesus clearly meant it would be an experience begun in the here and now, not just later in heaven. So what is the Bible's idea of rest which Jesus holds out to us? Well, right from the start of the Bible, rest is pretty big. Genesis chapter 1. God rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. 
And this was to be a vital principle for healthy human living as well. The fourth commandment could not be clearer. On the Sabbath, you shall not do any work. God rested and so will you. The major part of the creation story and also of the fourth commandment, however, is six days of work. This is the essential setting for the following one day of rest. Rest then is the temporary, well-earned time of recreation, recreation. It's a day doing the opposite to our six days activity so that we will recreate and revive and refreshed. So if you're a labourer, you probably should spend the day swinging in a hammock. If you're tied to a desk through the week, you should get out and run and swim and play sport. If you're trapped in a mindlessly repetitive job, you should fire up the brain with a stimulating book, a challenging movie, a game of chess, some lively conversation with folk you don't always agree with. Rest is to recharge our batteries. Physically, especially if your job is very physical. Mentally, if your job is boring and dreary. Socially, if you're locked away normally. But especially spiritually, because we need that extra time to refresh our relationship with God after the busyness of a full week. And then, refreshed, recharged, we hurtle back into the stuff of life the next day. Well, are you regularly recharged by your day of rest? However, in the Bible, this day of rest is not just doing nothing forever. God had set creation rolling right up to the arrival and establishment of the human race the ones in his very image, the ones with choice and with responsibility, the ones with conscience and with the ability to relate to him. His big brush creation was done with the arrival of humanity. His purpose had been achieved. He rested. However, <clears throat> the task of keeping the creation going was, of course, in no way finished. The father rests from creating, but still keeps working with his creation. I mean, he still chose Abraham, he still got his people across the Red Sea, he still sent prophets and so on and on. And all the rabbis that bothered to comment on it down through the, the years know and agreed that God was still alive and active all the time, including on the Sabbath. Jesus, of course, was absolutely certain. He says when they asked him why he was working on the Sabbath day by healing somebody, he said, my father is still working, so I'm still working. Working at keeping everything rolling along. God makes the sun come up and the sun go down. God brings the seasons around. God brings the new to birth and takes off those that they are replacing. Now, Jesus' opponents were appalled and furious when he healed on the Sabbath. And so the impression comes that Jesus overruled the rules of the Sabbath, but he values the Sabbath. Luke tells us Jesus went to the synagogue. Why? On the Sabbath day, as was his custom. 
but he didn't think much of the way the Sabbath was understood in his community. To correct it, he taught the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was a day for doing good more than for keeping rules which stopped him from doing good. And if healing a man was better for the man than leaving him crippled, then that's what he should do on the Sabbath. This certainly was great recreation for the cripple and perhaps the pleasure that caused from that was probably the stimulating uplift that revived Jesus as well. So what rest is Jesus offering those who labour and are heavy laden? He's offering the Jewish shalom, the New Testament peace. When the Old Testament Jew wished shalom to his neighbour, when he prayed for it for his nation, he was imagining the experience that comes with the absence of war, the provision of plenty, being comfortable in the community and in good standing with God. It's the experience of inner serenity and satisfaction that comes from being thoroughly comfortable. Shalom, peace. In the New Testament, and so what Jesus is offering us, rest is the same emotion, the same serenity, the same satisfaction, the same deep sense of everything under control and in its right place but the source of this inner calm is not quite the same. The rest, the peace which Jesus offers, can be experienced even when war and poverty and persecution are on the horizon. When Jesus knew his terrible execution was just a few hours away, he told his disciples, My peace I give you. Don't let your hearts be afraid. And just a few minutes later, he said, in the world you face persecution, but in me you have peace. This is startlingly new. This rest is a deeper calm, which not only does not need physical security and prosperity to guarantee it, but which can even continue in the face of terrible troubles. And St Paul knew about this from experience. He once summarised some of his experiences as a missionary. Five times I have received the 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea in frequent danger. Many a sleepless night, hungry, thirsty, often cold and naked, I'm under daily pressure. Yet he is the one who also wrote, and this also from his experience, do not worry, but with thanksgiving let your requests be known to God and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. This is what Jesus meant when he promised, I will give you rest. And who wouldn't want this? Jesus offers this rest, this peace which passes all understanding. 
how do we receive it? Three very simple steps. Step one, come to me. Jesus invites us, come unto me. He knocks. I'm standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. Now this is simple. Jesus the gentleman never barges roughshod into anyone. He longs to be our constant companion, but he waits for our request. He knocks, certainly. We have to invite him in. The handle to the door is on our side. And then in he comes, bringing peace, fulfilment, the sense of being put right, especially with God. Now, some people open the door so slowly over a period of years that uh, they're often not really sure if he's moved in yet. Many people believe Jesus is real, they respect him greatly, but have never deliberately said to Jesus, I'm opening the door, come in and live here in me. So they're not sure if he has begun camping in their life. Now, if you're not really sure then today, make sure, in the silence in your heart, say, come into my heart. Come in today, come in to stay. Just invite him in, as simple as that. And notice he said, if you open the door, I will come in. Not I might come in or I could come in, but I will come in. If you don't feel any different, what then? It's irrelevant. Feelings are not truth. Jesus promised, so he comes in. That's truth. He said if you invite him in, he will come. That's the end of the story. Step two, take my yoke upon you. Jesus' rest gets even better. A yoke is a wooden collar shaped to nestle over the necks of two oxen that holds them side by side so together they can haul a vastly bigger load than on their own. Jesus calls us to yoke ourselves to him, to enter into partnership with him where he is the leader. Jesus' rest is peace when we come to him and then it grows into companionship when we walk with him. Step three, learn from me. Jesus welcomes back the sinner and then trains the disciple. We learn from Jesus both what to think and what to do. And sometimes it will be hard just like learning to speak Chinese or to play an instrument or to run a marathon or to write a best-selling novel or score over 90 in the HSC. It can be hard, but still great and rewarding and wonderful, even delightful and worth every effort. It can be hard being yoked with Jesus, but it is still rest. In fact, Jesus says it is easy and light. Tucked away in the back of the New Testament is a letter that Paul wrote to a man called Philemon. Philemon was a well-off Christian leader in a town in Turkey. 
and the local church met in his house. Onesimus, his slave, took some money and escaped, fleeing all the way to Rome. Paul was under house arrest in Rome. Now, for some reason, Onesimus contacted Paul, became a Christian and grew very close to Paul. But in the system of that time in the Roman Empire, Philemon owned Onesimus. He owned his slave. And in order to be yoked to Jesus and to learn from him, Paul had to take some enormous risks. So I dare say he said his prayers, took a big breath and wrote to Philemon, offering to pay back what Onesimus had stolen but asking Philemon to welcome Onesimus back as a fellow Christian and not to punish him as would normally take place. He was asking Philemon to do the exact opposite of everything that was natural and right and normal in Philemon's worldview and everything that was right and natural and normal and expected by Philemon's whole household, not to mention the opinions of all Philemon's friends at the golf club. And Paul sent the letter with Onesimus, trusting that he would not get cold feet and run away again, fearful that Philemon might not do what Paul had asked and fearing that Philemon might do what was normal and punish him severely. This was an even bigger ask than Paul was posing for Philemon. And so Paul took a huge risk. Should either of those two not do as he had asked them, then he would probably lose both of them as friends and far more seriously, particularly in view of the hours and weeks and effort and friendship and talking that he'd put in with them, he might also lose them forever as believers. For Paul and Philemon Onesimus, big risks. Being yoked to Jesus can call us to make very difficult decisions, but Jesus is with us, giving us the strength to obey, and it is in this obedience that the deep experience is found of Jesus' fabulous peace, his rest. And when you make those decisions because you're yoked to Jesus and choose his way despite all the things that are pulling the other way, the experience of peace that began when you invited Jesus in grows deeper and more profound and more rewarding and more delightful. It is easy and light. So invite Jesus in. Make him your leader. Obey his words. Come to me. Take on my yoke. Learn from me, and I will give you rest. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources, and find more information about the community of St Mark's.